Good afternoon. Uh, we're at the top of the hour here, so we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us for today's webinar. I'm Shannon Miller, and I'm the MARCOM coordinator for the municipal segment here at YSI. YSI has designed and manufactured sensors, instruments, and solutions for water quality monitoring for over 70 years now. Uh, today, we're doing a presentation on YSI IQ SensorNet and how it's applied throughout the wastewater plant. Joining me today with over 35 years of combined experience with YSI instrumentation are Laura St. Pierre, product manager, Mark Vuxen, regional sales manager, and Ben Barker, instrumentation and applications engineer. Uh, we're glad everybody could be here today. Please let us know in the chat if we experience any audio issues during the webinar. And we've set aside some time to address questions at the end, hopefully, so feel free to ask those as we go along. Um, also, please note that the webinar is being recorded. Uh, so I think we'll go ahead and get started here, and I'll turn it over to Laura. Thanks, Shannon. Uh, thanks for the introduction, and thank you for moderate, uh, moderating today's session. Um, and thanks to everyone for joining. I hope you find this helpful and better understanding the IQ SensorNet system of online controllers and sensors that are designed specifically for wastewater monitoring. But before we go into the overview and details of IQ SensorNet, I'd like to give you a little introduction on YSI and Xylem. YSI has been located in Yellow Springs, Ohio since 1948. Here are some pictures of the co-founders and what our manufacturing facility looked like in, 19, uh, in 1951. Uh, for those of you who are curious, YSI stands for Yellow Springs Instruments, which was the original name of the company. Pretty impressive that this little spring is the namesake of a village in Ohio and a water quality instrumentation company. We joined Xylem in, in 2011, and today we are the largest Xylem site, for, uh, Xylem site in North America for manufacturing analytical instrumentation. Here are some uh, of Xylem's other brands that you may be familiar with, like Flight, Leopold, and Wetico. Okay, now on to the good stuff. Here is an overview of where IQ SensorNet could be used in a municipal wastewater treatment plant. IQ SensorNet is designed to help you monitor and control your wastewater treatment process to help you achieve your treatment goals as efficiently as possible. As you can see, IQ SensorNet can be used throughout the treatment process, from the influent through the primary secondary treatments to the effluent. We actually just released a new online chlorine DPD analyzer that can be added to an IQ SensorNet system for monitoring chlorine levels in the final effluent. IQ SensorNet is great in that way. You can add analyzers, sensors, or different communication outputs to IQ SensorNet as your facility and requirements change over time. The system is completely adaptable. This diagram depicts a 2020 controller we also have smaller networks available with our 282 and 284 controller systems. And as you can see here, the 2020 can be used as a portable or fixed display. The 282 and 284 controllers do not have this feature. Okay, so by the end of this presentation, you will likely realize how much Ben, Mark, and I like, IQ, like the IQ SensorNet system. If not, you should know we really like the IQ SensorNet system. I've been working with it since 2011, and it is very dependable in both accuracy and reliability, which are both absolute requirements for online monitoring that you want to use for controlling and treatment purposes. 
Additionally, here are a few things that set the IQ SenseNet controller apart from other options. Um, and and uh, Ben and, Mar and Mark will review more of these in detail throughout this presentation. But these include the modular architecture that allows the system to be easily expanded and our one cable design for both power and communication, which Mark is gonna review. This simplifies installation and networking. Our TSS, turbidity, and UV sensors have built-in ultra-clean ultrasonic cleaning, which helps reduce maintenance requirements. We also have backup controller and backup power options, providing system redundancy for your water quality monitoring network. As seen in the previous slide, we have an extensive sensor offering. This includes a wide range of UV sensors and our extremely robust ion selective electrodes for measuring nitrate or ammonia. This next slide shows IQ SensorNet's full range of parameters as both sensors and analyzers. IQ SensorNet sensors are rugged and can be used on any of the controller options. Simply connect the sensor cable to the sensor and then connect it to the controller. The controller will automatically recognize the sensor. Analyzers like the new ELISA can be connected to a controller with the IQ SensorNet network cable. The ELISAs utilize IQ SensorNet digital communication, so are also automatically recognized by the controllers when connected. With an IQ SensorNet system, you get the standard warranty as well as integrated lightning protection. When the system is properly installed, it can withstand power surges at a facility. This picture is one example of many. This picture was taken at the treatment facility in Cedarburg, Cedarburg Wisconsin. In June 2016, the Cedarburg facility took a direct lightning strike to their oxidation ditch, and everything that was in the water was ruined by the electrical surge, except the IQ sensor net. Our sensor and controller were still online and, and taking measurements. The sensor did get discolored, as you can see, but it is still functioning to this day. Uh, they replaced the Think Dio cap uh, last year, so uh, still running and working. Now I'd like to give you a brief overview of the controller options. With IQ SensorNet, we have a couple, we have a few controllers. For smaller networks of one to four sensors, we have the 282 and 284 controllers. For larger networks, the 2023 3G controller allows up for 20 sensors. All the controller options have built-in PID controller capability. We also have a blind controller option, meaning a fully functional controller without the display. This MC3 module provides a lower cost option if you wanna take advantage of that backup controller feature. You could configure this MC3 module to be the main controller, then use a 2020 as your portable display and backup controller when it's connected. Now the MC3 only, only works with the 2020 and will not work with the 282 or 284 controllers. The MC3s include digital IP communication protocols and can also be ordered with optional RS-45 output. With the MC3 controller, you can connect your IQ SensorNet system to your local area network or a cellular modem to get remote access to your data on a mobile phone. You can also connect it to a PC if it's on your local area network, and then use our PC software to view and download data or even modify settings on your controller. 
These applications are free with no monthly fee or contracts. All controllers have a, a USB port that can be used to download files from the system. Uh, you can download the configuration file, logged measured data, the event book, and calibration history. I highly recommend uh, downloading your configuration file after setup, after installation and startup. That way you have a copy of it on file in case anyone changes the configuration or if you want to modify your configuration and then want to be able to go back to the original, you'll have that file backed up and you can just load it right back on the, on the IQ SenseNet system. Okay, before Shannon launches our first poll, I'd like to review the modules. Um, the image on the right shows the two, uh, the two of the options that we have for connecting modules. They can be stacked, as shown in the top picture. Um, in fact, we can stack up to three of these modules and connect them uh, and communicate and power, uh, share power through them this way, um, and then put a 2020 display on top. The other connection option is via IQ network cable, as shown in that lower picture. A third option is wireless communication, which I'm going to show in the next slide. With IQ SensorNet, we have modules for communication, power, and additional sensor connections. We even have a module that will allow you to connect a non-IQ uh, analog sensor. That's like a third-party uh, level sensor. Um, and I'll show you more of, on that in a couple of slides. This graphic shows the wireless communication module option. The cool thing about our wireless option is that it's not one-to-one. -one. You can connect uh, several node modules to a primary module, as you can see in this image. Something that you can't really see in this image that isn't communicated well is that even though the communication is wireless, you still need power at each of these module locations, providing power to that module for it to be able to communicate. Okay, so here is the diagram of an IC2 module which stands for input, current, and there are two of them. This is, a, this is the module that allows you to connect any four to 20 milliamp analog device to an IQ SensorNet network. Here we are showing the MJK level sensor or, and a magnetic flow meter as examples. So with the IC2 module, you can power an analog device with this module as well. So, all you need is a power isolator, and then you can loop power a pressure transducer, for example, through the IC2. Now, this will take up both of those current inputs. So then in that case, you would only be able to put one third-party device to that IC2 if you're going to take advantage of that loop powering capability. Okay, and with that, I will turn it over to Shannon so she, Shannon, so she can conduct our first audience poll. Thanks, Lara. All right, I'm going to launch a quick poll here. Um, and it's just asking, with those of you currently using online water quality instrumentation. So I'll give you just a few seconds to answer that. All right, looks like most of you responded to that. So let's go ahead and take a look at the results here. Um, so it looks like about 50% are using online water quality instrumentation, which is 
And then I have a second part. The second question is, if you answered yes, what are you using online instrumentation for? And you can select more than one option here. So I'll give you a few more seconds to uh, complete this one. Hello, everyone. Um, hope you're enjoying the webinar so far. I'm going to be discussing the IQ SensorNet cable and network configuration options. So in this first one. Hey, Mark. Uh, you, yes. Uh, we are seeing your presentation view. Can you select your third monitor? Apologize. Excellent. Awesome. Thank thanks. You, you know, um, it's hard for us, you guys. We're unlike four different cities trying to do this, so bear with us. Thank you. Fantastic. Um, so as I started, uh, <clears throat> a little bit larger for everyone uh, in the audience there. So as you can see here, um, this is one way of doing things. Um, this is sort of the old school way, as I like to put it, um, and where you have a different monitor at every basin, and you can have one or two sensors connected to it. Um, we can still do this. However, um, there are a few drawbacks to this. First of all, you need to have power at every single basin. Um, so AC power needs to be pulled from the control panel to every basin. Uh, then you need 4 to 20 milliamp outputs for every sensor. And then you see a third one there as well. Um, and those are only two sensors in the basin because usually they want, the operators would like to have temperature back into the control panel as well um, for the basins. So now they're pulling four different wires um, from every single basin back to the PLC panel. That's conduit runs and wires and conduits. So again, as we can do this, um, there has been, you know, evolution throughout the years. And uh, probably about 15 years ago or so, um, they started doing things such as, oh, Apologize for that. Uh, they started adding Ethernet um, and Modbus and Profibus. So we can definitely do that, um, and it eliminates some of the 4 to 20 runs. However, um, it still um, does not uh, eliminate the AC power that is required every basin. The Ethernet runs are also limited to 300 feet. Um, so most uh, plants that would be uh, too short of a distance to be able to run to all four of these bases. The solution um, that we have come up with um, to combat all of that is the IQ SensorNet digital network solution, which allows you to use one cable shown here in green um, that brings both power and digital communication to and from each of the sensors. So now the power is only supplied at the control panel. From there, we have a low voltage, 24 volt DC loop powered system that brings power to the first module from there to the next, to the next, to the next. Um, exact same setup in terms of the layout of the basins and exact same amount of sensors, but now all you're using is one cable that is low voltage 
as bringing digital communication back from all of those sensors. It is also bringing back a lot more information rather than just what the probe is reading, um, such as some sensor health uh, and other communications such as that. Now, we also have another solution where we can go wirelessly. Laura mentioned earlier about using wireless modules, and in this application, um, we're showing four of them, four secondary modules speaking back to a primary module, uh, which then is wired into uh, the building, and it actually goes to the PLC panel. So that is taking all of those signals from those eight sensors back into the PLC wirelessly. Um, again, Laura mentioned earlier that you do need to power the wireless modules um, at each location. Uh, so if that is an option and it saves you from wiring, uh, we can definitely do this. And again, we can do up to eight of them. Again, there is a limitation on this. It is 100 meters um, from your furthest module back to uh, the primary module. And um, that is just a limitation of our wireless network. Now, we can also break the network out and go in multiple directions. So we aren't limited to daisy chaining, which we showed on the first few slides here. Um, we can actually break it out and go in multiple directions. Now, something else that you'll notice on this slide is there's two displays. Um, you guys can see my cursor. Um, there's one here, and there's another one on this side. So what these multiple displays allow is for redundancy. And those displays can be moved and snapped on to any of the modules in the system, and they'll show you what is happening throughout the entire network. Now, if one of those displays would happen to fail, the other one is running the system because they are running in parallel, and you would not have a loss of communication anyway. Um, you would just be notified that one of the displays has failed. So this offers some nice redundancy to our network. It's a unique feature to our system. On this slide, we're showing how we've easily added sensors. Um, so if you missed that, um, Basin 1 and Basin 4 have now added an ammonia nitrate sensor. So that's a combination sensor that Ben will discuss a little bit later in the presentation. Um, however, uh, this plant decided to add an ammonia nitrate sensor into their basins. So it was as simple as buying a sensor cable and a sensor and dropping it into Basin 1 and Basin 4. Uh, and as soon as you've done that, it is communicating back to your PLC panel, um, which you can then display on your SCADA system. So no need for calling an electrical contractor to run extra wires and conduits um, just because you want to add a measurement and a basin. If you would like to add another sensor in basins two and three, by all means, just buy another sensor and a cable and away you go. Now, if your needs change and you decide that, hey, you want to start monitoring sludge level um, in your clarifiers, however, you do not want to dig up a roadway to get there because there's a roadway between your aeration basins and your clarifiers and you want to do it wirelessly, we can definitely do that. So what we're showing here is a wired and a wireless network uh, working in combination. So the two clarifiers are now speaking back to the closest location, which is in this instance, basin one. And from there is sending the wired uh, results back to the PLC panel. So all of the sensors shown here are still showing up in your SCADA system and on the displays. Now here you'll notice uh, we've also included a third display just because it's a different section of the plant. You may or may not want another display out there. So again, we're not limited to only having two displays. You can have three in this instance. 
Now, as things keep changing at your plant and requirements change and all of a sudden you've added a UV system from Wetico, um, we can always throw in a UVT probe to monitor um, the clarity of the water. So that is, but in this instance, there are contractors on site and you decide to go wired. So you can run a wire um, and again, connect it up to the nearest location. In this instance, it's basin three and go back to the PLC control panel. And now you're also measuring your UVT uh, results back in your control panel. So extremely flexible and very easy to add more sensors to an existing or even more locations um, if your needs change over time. Here we're showing the analog system versus the digital system. So again, we can do either. Um, however, um, you can tell that there's tremendous cost savings by going with the system shown lower on the lower half of your screen. Um, first of all, there is less uh, controllers that are needed in the system. Obviously, otherwise, now we have four junction box modules instead of four controllers on the basins. Um, and secondly, and even more so importantly, um, you are not having all those wires running back and forth and the conduit runs that are associated with them um, during that installation phase. So a lot of advantages to going towards the network solution. Um, and again, a lot easier to add on to that as your needs change throughout the years, as opposed to the original analog style system where you would need to add more controllers and more four to 20 runs back to your PLC panel. Getting into the sensors a little bit, um, I'm gonna start, you know, start us off with the first few and then Ben was gonna uh, jump in and go with some more. Um, so throughout the course of this next little bit, you're gonna hear about pH and ORP, conductivity, turbidity and suspended solids, DO, ammonia nitrate, sludge level, and our optical nitrate, nitrite, uh, COD, BOD, UVT uh, combination sensor. We're gonna first start with the ESS and turbidus and turbidity sensors. Um, so they are fully optical, um, very stable uh, using LED, uh, so very little to no drift. Um, the visolid sensor is used for suspended solids where the visoturb is used for turbidity. Um, the visolid comes with a with two factory calibrated curves, uh, one for activated sludge applications, one for primary sludge applications. Um, and then you can also do a custom calibration curve where you would input up to eight points via lab grab samples to create a custom curve if need be. Now the visolid would be used throughout your plants in the wastewater side. Um, and the, whereas the visoturb would only be used on the effluent if you're monitoring below five milligrams per liter. Um, and also could be used on the drinking water side for your raw water inlet and everything pre-filter. These sensors have something else in common um, besides the LED lights they use. Uh, they also have ultrasonic cleaning built in, which allows them to be maintenance free. Um, they have no replacement parts or consumables, so no wipers to replace monthly, no seals to replace annually. Um, so there is nothing to replace for the life of the sensor. Um, everything in the sensor is as you see it. Um, and it continually functions and the picture, the video on the right here shows the ultrasonic cleaning at work. We also have two follow-up photos here where 
one on the picture on the left uh, was the ultrasonic cleaning was turned off after 30 days. Um, and the picture on the right uh, was the same application with the ultrasonic cleaning turned on during that time frame. So you can see how the, how the sensor keeps itself clean. A great application uh, where we were asked to help was Overland Park, Kansas. And um, what they required was continuous monitoring of suspended solids in their mixed liquors and their RAS. Um, so they needed long-term accuracy and simple maintenance. So our solution was to provide them with a TSS sensor in each of their four anoxic zone, oxic zones um, to monitor their mixed liquor suspended solids. They also needed to measure suspended solids in their RAS lines. So the pictures on the right, uh, the top picture is their oxic zones where they uh, installed the sensor. Uh, and the exact same sensor, just a different installation uh, mount, uh, is in the picture below that they were using in their RAS line, their return activated sludge line. So that is a high pressure line um, with our retractable armature uh, built in. So the result was uh, target SRT is maintained by automatic adjustment of the sludge wasting rate using data from the sensors. Moving on to our optical DO sensor. Um, the sensor comes with a removable cap, uh, which has a two-year warranty um, on the cap. These caps typically last four to five years before needing replacement. Um, one of the unique features that we designed into these caps from the beginning was we put in a microchip, uh, which is shown in that uh, with the red arrow, and that microchip uh, has the built-in factory calibration into each cap, the coefficient. So when you replace the cap, be it in three, four, five years from now, you still do not have to calibrate the sensor um, as that sensor realizes what the calibration coefficient is and starts functioning instantly. So um, there's no alphanumeric digit codes you had to punch in or any of that fun stuff. You do not have to let it wet and sit in the basin before you calibrate it because no calibration is ever required for the sensor, even when replacing the cap. So uh, what we show here in the video um, is the, comp the competitor sensor where it has a flat cap. Um, and what happens is the air bubbles stick to the sensor face. So with the air bubbles sticking to the sensor face, it is giving it a falsely high reading, uh, whereas our sensor cap is angled and all the bubbles roll off. Um, in head-to-head -head trials, we've always proven um, that our sensor reads accurately. And um, this is the one trick that we still need to show everybody when we're doing these trials. And that is we explain to them that any portable they have, be it a YSI or any other manufacturers, we ask them to tie wrap the portable sensor to the cable. This allows for a quicker stability. Um, sometimes people are sitting out there for over five minutes waiting for their sensor to stabilize. And the reason why that is, is these air bubbles are bursting on the sensor face. When you do this, it allows you to get an accurate reading of how much oxygen is in the aqueous solution, and it's not skewed by air bubbles bursting on the sensor face. Um, so once people do this, their readings automatically match what our readings are in our sensor normally installed. So just a little trick for those uh, operators, those people that do spot checks, um, you'll appreciate that in the cold winter months or the hot summer days. 
uh, when you're sitting out there and you can drop it in and it stabilizes within 15, 20 seconds as opposed to three to five minutes. So um, give that a try. Now, people always ask us, do these sensors need cleaning? Uh, clearly, the TSS sensor does not because it has cleaning built in. However, some of our other sensors do not have the ability um, to have a lens that we can vibrate and keep clean. So sensors such as our DO sensor, we have the ability to add air cleaning to uh, keep them clean. Now, the question always comes up, do you require air cleaning with your system? Um, and we like to put it out there as... If you are running 90% municipal um, residential waste, um, you likely do not need air cleaning for your sensors. Um, just wipe them off every few months and you should be good. Now, if you have a lot of fats, oils, and greases from industrial customers, um, that um, we strongly require adding air cleaning to your system. So uh, what would be required would be either plant air, um, if you have it available, um, or we can supply you with either a single, dual, or four-channel air cleaning box. So the picture at the top right there is our multi-four-channel air cleaning compressor. Now, this will be mounted on the handrail, as shown in the picture on the bottom right, um, and you would also receive a cleaning air head um, with this. And the cleaning air head has three orifices, uh, which blast air across the sensor face from three different angles uh, to help keep that sensor clean. That is fully programmable um, by you um, or by anybody that comes in to help you start up your system. Uh, but typically people turn it on every two to three hours for 30 seconds to a minute uh, duration. Now, uh, an application uh, where we've, you know, had some great success is Muncie, Indiana, and uh, they upgraded to automatic aeration control. So what we have there is, uh, in that picture, you see two of our probes hanging off the handrail there, and we have 12 DO sensors and four ammonia nitrate ISEs um, as part of that upgrade. Sanitaire's Oscar process control system pulses aeration-based on changes in flow and BOD loading. So this allows the facility to maintain low dissolved oxygen without compromising their mixing. Now I will send it, turn it over to Shannon for a quick um, audience poll again. Thanks, Mark. So I'm gonna go ahead and launch a, the last audience poll here. And we're asking, what are the NPDES nutrient effluent limits for your facility? Um, and you can select more than one option here. So I'll give you a few seconds to complete that. Okay, let's take a look at the results here. So it looks like a majority of uh, total nitrogen, total phosphorus, and ammonia nitrogen. Thank you for your responses. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Ben to close out the presentation. All right. Thank you, Mark. And Thank you, Shannon. Uh, can everybody, can you guys see my screen now? Okay, yeah. Yes, I, so. I can see it. I believe I'm the right one. <laughs> okay, 
So the first sensor I will talk about is our ion selective electrode sensors, the varian, amylate, and nitrolate. Our ISCs are not like the others on the market. Um, our ISCs are designed to be long lasting, stable, and they are extremely reliable. Uh, we are so confident in our, in our ISCs that we back our electrodes with an industry leading 12 month warranty and expect them to last up to 18 to 24 months. The variant has several features that contribute to this track record. Maybe most importantly, the sensor has a super long reference electrode, which helps the other electrodes maintain, maintain steady readings for much longer. The electrodes are also individually replaceable so that you can replace them as needed. And then also a mesh stainless steel screen over the membrane helps protect the electrode in the harsh wastewater conditions and also during cleaning. And of course, compensating electrodes for potassium and chloride are automatically compensated in the measurement to ensure accuracy despite those interfering ions. So as a quick example of an ammonium ISE application, I'll show you guys something a little different than the typical ammonia-based aeration control application. So in Littleton, Inglewood, Colorado, they use our amylate for their chloramination process, which controls the transfer of centrate to pre-chlorination. Their goal was to maintain a consistent ammonium to chlorine ratio for efficient chloramine, disinfe chloramine disinfection. The amylate sensor controls the flow into the stream, maintaining around 1 to 1.5 milligrams per liter of ammonium. Then they have an ORP sensor, which controls the actual chlorine dosing at a set point of positive 400 millivolts. The system works very well to ensure that they are maintaining the correct amount of chlorination uh, for their disinfection process. All right, so now let's take a look at our line of UV and UV-Vis spectral sensors. These sensors are online spectrophotometers that measure directly within the process. Y-sized sensors can measure nitrate, nitrite, COD, BOD, TOC, UVT254, and TSS. And the cool thing about our sensors is that you can measure up to five on the same sensor, so it can be a very powerful tool. One benefit of the Y-size UV sensor line is that ours can scan absorbance of molecules at 256 different wavelengths to get our concentrations compared to some of the competition that only measures a few wavelengths to do so. This allows our sensors to get a better correlation for more accurate readings, better turbidity correction to account for all those solids in the wastewater, and allows us to differentiate between nitrate and nitrite, which can be very useful in particular applications. And also allows our sensor to adapt to, uh, well to the changing process conditions. So taking a look on the graph on the right, this shows the absorption of light for different molecules. Nitrate and nitrite absorb most at the lower UV wavelengths. Carbon parameters absorb at higher UV wavelengths. And then we also measure in the visible spectrum from 390 to 720 for turbidity correction and, uh, and for that TSS measurement. Also note that at the 254 nanometer wavelength, we have the UVT or SAC measurement. We can measure these on our spectral sensors, but we can also measure these on our signal wavelength sensors. The UV sensors are extremely light on maintenance. Just like our TSS and turbidity sensors, these have the integrated ultra-clean technology, reducing the time between manually cleaning sensors. Or you can also include air cleaning to make maintenance even easier. Not only that, these sensors are completely sealed with no wiper, meaning no replacement parts or the use of chemicals. 
These sensors are incredibly durable as their optical windows are made of sapphire, making them scratch resistant. And the entire sensor body is made of titanium, making the sensor incredibly durable in the harsh wastewater environment. And here are some examples of how customers are using UV sensors. First, we have the New York DEP, which uses 60 UV nitrate sensors throughout five plants in, New in the New York City area. These nitrate sensors are responsible for automatically adjusting the carbon dosing for their denitrification. I've personally been to these New York uh, to these New York sites to calibrate and service these probes, and the consistency of the measurements are impressive even after several years in service. Next, we have Alexandria Renew in Virginia, which is the first water resource recovery facility in North America to run mainstream Animox, which is the shortcut denitrification process in which they convert ammonium directly into nitrogen gas. They use many YSI sensors, including ammonium ISEs, dissolved oxygen, ORP, and they use these sensors to control and monitor their process. But they also use UV nitrate and nitrite sensors to ensure, to ensure that nitrate and nitrite are not accumulating during their Animox process. This system and their YSI sensors allow the facility to run DO between 0.1 and 0.2 milligrams per liter, saving on up to 60% on energy for their blowers and also saving 40% on carbon dosing. Facilities in, Maryland, in the Maryland and DC area, or uh, the WSSC, had switched to YSI for all of their UV sensor needs after a head-to-head -head trial based on accuracy and maintenance requirements. One particular plant utilizes the NitroViz in their four-stage Bardenfos system to control their carbon dosing for denitrification. They use a feedback design with their sensor at the end of the anoxic zone, which can then control how much carbon needs to be dosed into the zone uh, for sufficient nitrogen removal. And then finally, we have Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, uh, which is one of the many plants to utilize our single wavelength UVT sensors to control UV dosing for their disinfection process. Although the single wavelength sensor does not have all the capabilities of the full spectral sensors, this sensor does get a very accurate and reliable UVT percentage at a lower price for their UV system. Next, we have our IFL sensors, uh, which uses an ultrasonic signal to detect the level of sludge. An echo is sent down to the bottom of the tank, which then bounces off either the sludge and the bottom of the tank. And the time that it takes for the echo to bounce back to the sensor is how deep the sludge is. The IFL sludge level sensor is factory calibrated and usually only requires a few settings such as immersion depth and tank depth uh, to get accurate measurements within clarifiers although there are additional settings to adjust for different types of sludge if needed. This is the only YSI sensor that does, does use a wiper, but it is non-contact, which effectively removes algae and bubbles from blocking the measurement. This non-contact wiper does not need to be maintained throughout the life of the sensor, meaning no service contract for yearly wiper and seal replacement. IFLs can be used in both primary and secondary clarifiers, uh, whether they are circular or rectangular. Um, and we also have options for, uh, for mounting directly beneath a catwalk or extending out from a catwalk. Um, in applications with rake arms, uh, the, the IFL uses a hinged mount, allowing the rake arm to pass underneath without disrupting the measurement.
Next, we have the Sensolit, which is the pH or ORP probe, depending on the electrode that you're using. The benefits of the Sensolit is that the electrode is replaceable, making maintenance very easy, instead of refilling a salt bridge or replacing electrolyte solution. The Sensolit has an internal sensor check, which detects issues with the sensor, uh, automatically adjusts for pH for temperature uh, with its own thermistor, and it has a variety of electrodes for different applications, depending on the robustness needed uh, by the application. And YSI, of course, offers some hazardous area sensors for those class one div two requirements. We offer TSS, DO, PH, ORP, and industry's first class one div two ammonium and nitrate ISE sensors. Uh, these are used with one of several barrier boxes provided as one of our IQ modules. Now, introducing YSI's newest technology, the ELISA Online Analyzer platform, featuring both an orthophosphate and ammonium measure er, version. Uh, to the right, we have the uh, main specs for each version. Uh, the improvements over the previous model is the reduction of the minimum detection level down to 0 0.02 milligrams per liter for both parameters, and a reduction to a very, very low 5 to 10 microliters of reagent used per measurement equating to less than one mil per day used. Also, the analyzer comes in one or two channel options featuring auto cleaning, uh, auto calibration, and two options for filtration, and a two-year warranty on the product. ELISA takes online analyzer technology for these parameters to the next step. Extensive onboard diagnostics, such as status bars for current operation, uh, and, re and reagent levels makes monitoring the system very easy. Also, the in-situ filter has improved to a new square design, uh, which is more efficient and robust. As I said on the last slide, the total amount of reagent has been reduced to extremely low levels with a new valve technology called the multi-port valve, which, you'll, which you see on the uh, top right. Uh, with less reagent comes less total reagent used, which now comes in, in the form of IV-style bags instead of large jugs. And these come in addition to a number of additional features designed to make ELISA the most hands-off analyzer on the market. So as a typical ap application example for chemical cost savings uh, with an ortho-P analyzer is the reduction of chemical costs in the 25% range, which is what we saw here in uh, Watertown, Wisconsin. The analyzer was installed after disinfection to continuously monitor ortho-P measurements, which then provides a feedback signal to the ferric, to ferric chloride addition point at the end of the aeration basins. This signal provides the info needed to calculate the dosing needed to maintain effluent phosphorus below their effluent limits. So IQ SensorNet offers both immersion and insertion mounting options within a treatment plant. Some, uh, some of the immersion options are shown here. We have a swing and chain mount in which you can suspend a single, double, or triple sensor holder into the basin. We also have several rail mount options, uh, like the basic PVC mount you see here. And we are also told that we have the easiest to use PVC mount out there. Um, if turbulence is an issue, we also can mount sensors to a metal pole. So uh, whatever your application needs, we have the mounting uh, equipment for you. And then moving on to our insertion options, we have a, a high pressure ball valve insertion mount to the left. Uh, 
this mount allows you to insert or remove a sensor into pressurized flow without needing to stop the flow at all. Uh, and then we also have several options for PVC mounting, as you can see in the middle and the right uh, option. So before we wrap this up, I would quickly like to take a couple, uh, a look at a couple examples of how IQ SensorNet has been used. Uh, so for example, first we have a project in Cumberland, Maryland, um, which was completed with Airzen, in which they used a 2023G system on each of their ba on each basin with four DO sensors on each. Uh, these DO sensors were used to control aeration, while they also monitored the airflow at each location by bringing in a third-party airflow sensor into the IQ SensorNet system with that uh, with the IC2 module that we spoke about earlier. And Next, we have the Howard F. Curran Advanced Wastewater Treatment Facility in Tampa. This customer started out by outfitting uh, one of their biological treatment trains with a system of 17 sensors, including DO, ammonium, nitrate, pH, ORP, and TSS. They have the option to control their aeration from either the DO or ammonium readings, and they can send all of the data from these sensors via ethernet from a single location uh, where we have the controller in the top left there, um, from a cabinet that is located at the basin. In the future, this plant will, uh, will be installing identical systems for their two other treatment trains, but they liked our, our TSS sensors so much that they wanted TSS for these other trains immediately. So to do so, they just added a new branch onto the system temporarily by extending an IQ cable and a new junction box to the other trains, dropped in the TSS sensor, and then updated SCADA so they could receive those TSS readings as well. And then finally, we have a two-train denitrification system in Hampton, uh, New Hampshire, which we have an anoxic, uh, which we have an anoxic swing zone followed by two oxic zones. This plant wanted to be as hands-off as possible with their probes, so they installed cleaning air systems for all of their sensors. These are four channel compressors, so they were able to clean all six probes on each train with only two cleaning air systems. Also, being in New Hampshire, uh, they set up another small system in their lab so they, they could service and test all of their probes inside to avoid doing this out on the basins in the dead of winter when it gets really cold. Uh, so having been up there at, this, at these sites, uh, I think that's a really good idea um, to avoid those freezing temperatures. All right, so as a review, uh, YSI is unique in many ways. Uh, YSI is the only manufacturer to use ultrasonic cleaning, uh, which is the automated cleaning system for UV and TSS sensors. We're the only manufacturer to use one cable design for communication and power, which serves as a huge benefit to simplify installations. We have superior sensor technology. Especially, uh, specifically, we have the uh, most reliable ammonium and nitrate ISC sensors on the market, and our DO cap is uniquely designed with an angle to give you the most true DO reading. And then our line of UV-Vis sensors, which are uh, incredibly accurate and designed specifically for the wastewater environment. Next, our modular system is unique, uh, allowing for easy expansion and, redu and redundancy, and adjustable to any way that uh, the customer needs. Also, we can have up to 20 parameters on a single network with our low-cost junction boxes. 
And the last one I have here, and it's not exclusive to YSI, but we do not require service contracts because we believe our sensors to be reliable enough that our customers can service themselves. Although if a customer would like a service contract, we can still meet that need as well. So I would also like to quickly mention that our YSI portable and lab equipment are perfect for the municipal wastewater applications. We have updated the Pro Series into what we call the Digital Series now, with an improved selection of sensors, new display, and even a few different options between the Pro Solo, Pro Swap, and the uh, multi-parameter Pro DSS. In addition, YSI's laboratory line has some, of the, has some newer additions that fit right into wastewater water laboratories, such as a new line of auto titrators and our multi-lab, which is the perfect BOD instrument. And there you have it. Uh, don't forget that we have a bunch of great material on our website that can help you learn about wastewater instrumentation, uh, such as our newest uh, application about solid retention time, uh, or the most recent blog post, five questions to ask when selecting a UV or UV vis sensor. So feel free to reach out to uh, Mark, Laura, or I uh, with any questions you may have about instrumentation uh, or their applications. And I'll pass it back to Shannon. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. We do have a few minutes for questions. We had some come in during the webinar, but if you have questions, now is the time to ask them. Just type them in the uh, question or chat box on your screen there. Uh, so the first question we have is, are you able to switch from an analog system to IQ SensorNet just by pulling different cable? Marker. Ben, want to take that one? Yeah, I'll take that one. Um, <clears throat> yeah, yes and no. Um, so you, we can definitely switch it over. It might require a few modules um, that need to be replaced. Um, so um, a lot of times what we would do is we would just pull the 4 to 20 cable out uh, and replace it with our IQ SensorNet cable. Um, and at that point, you just put a junction box and, you know, you're reusing the same conduit. Um, and increase it. Now, if I misunderstood that question, um, I'll answer it another way. And that is if your current IQ sensor net system, if you have that and it's sending analog signals to a PLC um, and you want to go to an Ethernet or Modbus or Profibus, that would just require adding an Ethernet, Modbus or Profibus module to whatever system you currently have. And then that system um, would be able to speak that language to the PLC. So there's, you know, kind of a two-part answer, um, and uh, there's many ways for us to do that. Uh, with the probes, though, it would stay the same, um, would be the same same sensors. So just uh, removing a few modules and potentially, um, depending on your layout, pulling a new cable, but maybe not even needed. Okay, thank you, Mark. Uh, we have another question here. Uh, where would be the best location to install an online COD slash BOD probe? Uh, I'll take that one. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so online COD or BOD, uh, that's going to give you a good uh, indication of the amount of organics that are coming into your system, um, which is mainly going to be uh, removed or utilized during your uh, during your activated sludge portion, so secondary treatment. 
So probably the best location would be in your primary effluent so that you know exactly how much uh, organics you're going to have uh, prior to coming into your aeration basins. So whether that carbon is being used for like uh, during uh, denitrification or whether that carbon is being used during anaerobic zones or just being uh, utilized through your aerobic zones, uh, you'll know how much you have going into it, which is always uh always very helpful. So that's probably that's probably the most common place that you'll see it. Um, another one might be the influent of the plant if you can if you can place a sensor up there uh, or upstream at that location. Um, that would probably be the other one. Thanks, Ben. Uh, here's another question for you, Ben. Are all sensors and probes self-calibrated or have self-calibration? So it depends on the sensor. So uh, obviously, uh, all the technologies are different, so uh, the technologies have different requirements. So uh, some uh, some sensors have become advanced enough. So for instance, the DO, uh, dissolved oxygen, those uh, sensors have become stable enough to where they do not need to be calibrated at all um, for, the li for the life of the sensor or the life of the sensor cap. Um, in other cases, uh, some sensors for instance, ones that utilize electrodes, so an I ammonium or nitrate ISE or a pH or ORP uh, electrode, um, those do need to be calibrated periodically because they do encounter drift as they go, um, as they age. So in that case, you will need to do manual, um, manual uh, calibrations periodically. And then uh, other, other, uh, I guess, other examples of UV sensors should not need to be calibrated periodically, maybe only once at the beginning, because um, the those components do not drift. And then uh, chemistry, wet chemistry analyzers may need, uh, will have auto calibration systems. At least our the ELISA does have auto calibration, so it does it itself, um, or the probe does. So uh, depends on the depends on the uh, instrument for sure. Okay, thank you, Ben. Uh, here's another. Can plant air be used to clean the probes? I'll take that one. Um, most definitely. Uh, if you have plant air that has an output of over 50 PSI, you would simply need to add a cleaning head for each sensor and a solenoid valve module, uh, which would be programmed to control how often the cleaning took place and the duration for the cleaning. Um, water can also be used uh, in the same way as long as you are not in an application that would be susceptible to freezing, so somewhere indoors um, or in the warm weather climates. Okay, thanks, Mark. Uh, here's a question: Is is the compliance monitor compliance monitoring sensor acceptable to regulatory agency reporting? Um, so I could probably I could answer that. Uh, so it depends on the depends on the sensor that you're using. Uh, so if you're, uh, sure. <laughs> yeah, it just yeah, it just depends. You know what your who your regulatory agency is. Um, several of our sensors several of our sensors follow EPA approved methods. Um, so if it's for compliance reporting to the U.S. EPA, uh, our dissolved oxygen sensor, our uh, pH electrode. Um, our new chlorine uh, 3017M analyzer, uh, for example, all meet 
um, EPA approved methods. So it just depends on what the regulatory agency is and just matching up what our, our sensor uh, method is for measuring and whether or not it's an approved method. But we do have a list of that and we can provide that um, as part of the post care package follow up for the webinar. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, with the ultra clean technology, do you still need air cleaning? Ben or Mark? Uh, I'll take that one. So with, if you have ultra clean technology, uh, you, air cleaning is not absolutely not required. Uh, ultra clean technology with TSS, so that's available on TSS, uh, the VisoTurb and, uh, so turbidity, uh, and our UV sensors. So, with those sensors, usually a majority, majority, big, large majority of the time, uh, additional air cleaning would not be needed. Um, there might be some uh, uh, applications to where it's especially harsh, uh, like the water might be especially harsh or the solids might be especially harsh when you might need it, um, where it might or it might help. Um, but regardless, uh, yeah, either way. Uh, the, the ultrasonic cleaning does a really good job of keeping those three sensors uh, very clean. So usually it shouldn't need uh, air cleaning with it. I'll add a little bit to that. Um, it works works really well on secondary treatment. Um, again, harsh environments like primary treatment, you might want to add it to. Um, and then also for very, very clean applications, if you think about deploying this in, in drinking water applications, for example, or the final effluent, uh, really clean water can actually start to deposit on the on the uh, face of the optics of a UV sensor. So while ultrasonic is great on getting solids off, when it's just more of um, deposits in really clean water, air air cleaning can help um, uh, keep that off as well. Thanks, Ben and Lara. Uh, this question's for Mark. Can the control is the controller available with heart output? Um, it is not. Um, that is one of the uh, languages that we do not speak um, as we speak Ethernet, Modbus, Profibus, um, Profinet. Um, Heart is uh, something that we do not speak. Um, we believe that that was like an older style um, two-wire, uh, you know, uh, system. The, that Hart spoke with um, and with something that we have not pursued and do not get asked for uh, very often. So it's not something that we've uh, pursued. Thanks, Mark. Um, we have a couple more questions here. Is there an ideal depth uh, that a sensor should be installed in an aeration basin? Uh, I'll take that one. So, I guess as far as sensor sensor location or or, or mounting a sensor, uh, really the best thing would be to ha pick a location that is uh, representative of the entire sample that you're trying to read or of the entire basin, I guess. Um, so if you're uh, putting into a in – or you're mounting in an aeration basin, um, pick a spot that would be uh, representative of the entire basin if you can. Um, as far as depth goes, you want to be – uh, around 18 inches below the surface, so one to two feet. Uh, and then also you want to make sure you're away from the side walls um, of the basin, so probably at least a foot away uh, from any walls as well. Uh, and that should be good. Thanks, Ben. Uh, one last question. 
what's the best location to install an online ammonium sensor? I can take that one as well. Uh, so it it depends on what you're trying to do, of course. Uh, if if you are trying to control blowers, for example, uh, it will depend on what type of control you're trying to use or if you're trying to control. So if you're trying to uh, control aeration, you can either have, uh, I would say ideally, you would want an, uh, a, an ammonium sensor at the beginning of your aeration basins and then one near, near the end or at least a quarter of the way towards the end. Um, and that would give you enough data to uh, control your blowers perfectly. Um, if you are unable or you can only do one per basin, then you can use, uh, you can try either for feed forward or feedback control by placing one at the beginning or the middle um, for feed forward. And then uh, if you wanted to use feedback control, it would be, uh, you would use one at the end of the basin. So that's for uh, controlling, uh, for controlling any aeration. If you are monitoring for uh, compliance, then, uh, then you want an ammonium sensor that would be uh, near your near your effluent. Uh, so that would either be a sensor or it would be an ELISA would be able to read down that far to give you a good idea of what ammonium level you have going out of the plant. Thanks, Ben. Uh, so that brings us to the end of the hour. Uh, if we didn't get to your question, we will follow up after the webinar. And if you have any additional questions that you didn't get in, uh, there's a short four question survey that will launch at the end of the webinar. Uh, we do appreciate your feedback. And if you have any additional questions or need additional info, uh, there is a section there to send us a note. Um, we <clears throat> thanks every, thanks again, everyone for coming today. We hope you found this webinar useful and have a great day.